This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio, plus this week's episode number 520. We've got Rusty Amarante joining us live. He's the Director of Operations for Belfour. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate him breaking away from, I know it's a very busy time right now to join us on the show. Um, also want to let listeners know that if you get a chance, stop by our Facebook page, give us a like, go to YouTube, comment on any of the shows. And of course, you can download shows through Podbean. Uh, we also have continuing education credits available if you email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Before we get started, let's thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone, and congratulations to John Lapotere, Indoor Air Quality Solutions, Orlando, Florida, who was first to identify what Hurricanes Florence in 2018, Fred in 2015, Emily in 2005, Ivan in 2004, and Hugo in 1989 had in common. They were all Cape Verde hurricanes, which started in Africa. The IQ Radio question for today, Friday, October 12, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. How many Category 5 storms have ever hit the continental United States? Back to you, Joe. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, Rusty Amarante is a certified restorer and the director of operations for Belfour Property Restoration, the global leader in disaster recovery. He is also the president of Belfour Franchise Group, a leading national franchiser of service brands, including 1-800-WATER-DAMAGE, Ducts International, and Hoods International. Rusty's career started in the 1970s in suburban Philadelphia and has ranged from the owner of a small cleaning and restoration company that grew to a large regional full-service restoration contractor before joining the Belfort team in the 1990s. Rusty, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yep, it's, it's great. It's good to see you again. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. I'm going to turn it over to you for the questioning. Thanks, Joe. Well, Rusty, it's good to see you. Uh, you know, as a kid, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Uh, always great to see you, Cliff. Um, 
I wasn't quite sure, but I do know, you know, my, uh, my dad owned a gas station and he owned a small grocery store and, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to have my own business. I, there was never any, any questions about that. So, um, yeah, that, that, okay, cool. that was the time I just needed to search out what that was going to be. No problem. Well, I guess when you search and then some, somehow you stumbled into the cleaning industry. I mean, how did you land there and how old were you when you started? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I went to junior college for one year. And then uh, during that summer, I took a part-time job with a guy who had a cleaning company and, um, I, I always remember it very clearly. He, at, at the end of the job, he handed me the, the bill to leave on the desk. We cleaned up after a puff back in somebody's house. And it wasn't typical of me, but I did open up the envelope and I looked at how much the bill was. And uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm pretty good at math. And I did the math and I was like, this is a very profitable business. And, um, I started talking with him about it. And next thing I knew, uh, he and I, bought a franchise together and uh, I, I, I never did go back. I, I regret it. I never did go back and finish school. So that was, uh, I was not quite 21 when uh, that happened. Yeah. That's when I started too. Yeah. All right. Um, Marty King was a big influencer in your restoration career. What are the most important things and lessons that you learned from him? Uh, you know, I mean, Marty was certainly a big influence. There's no question about that. And there was uh, certainly several other people uh, that, that would, would fall into that list. I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that Marty did for me uh, indirectly was he gave me pride uh, about our industry. Um, you know, back then, right, we didn't even, we didn't even really know what restoration was. If, if, if you went to a if you met somebody or you talked to somebody and they said, Hey, what do you do for a living? It would be hard to answer. You know, uh, well, I'm kind of in the cleaning business, but I'm kind of in rest I'm janitor. I'm kind of a maid service. There was really no description of our, our, our business. And, and most of the time people would just kind of roll their eyes and walk away because they were as confused, you know, understanding as we were trying to explain it. Um, and then it was Marty who came along and, you know, with great pride, um, made the industry uh, uh, certainly through the, the, the CR class. I'm, I'm CR number 50. Um, generated great pride. And uh, all, all of a sudden, I, I felt myself standing a little taller and being a more uh, uh, feeling like this was a real business, a real industry. And um, that, that frankly changed a lot for me. And I felt like, um, you know, this, this was this was real. This was, this was something that, that had a lot of potential to it. So um, there's, there's lots of different things. And I could probably say about Marty about little specific uh, things he helped with, but the, the, the biggest thing was the overall pride I think that he brought to our industry and, uh, and, and feeling of genuine professionalism. And, and we, we were folks to take serious, not to be pushed around. Good. Joe, next question. When I know you've done a lot of industry volunteer work. Did you start that early on in your career or did that come a little bit later? No, I, I started that really, you know, relatively early. And, you know, you, you guys said how Marty influenced me. Uh, there's no question about it. Somebody else who influenced me was Cliff. 
And I remember back in our tri-state days going to those conferences. And, uh, I, I, you know, at, at that point, maybe I was in my mid-20s or whatever. But I, I remember uh, Cliff saying to Lou, hey, you know, why don't we give this kid a shot to maybe get up and talk a little bit about what he's doing and some of those things. And, and uh, I, I had never spoken public before or anything like that, but I, I did. And uh, I, amazingly, people applauded and uh, wanted to talk to me afterwards. And it was kind of a very neat experience. And uh, I, I owe that all to Cliff. And, um, uh, and, and then from there, you just, you, you know, you built, you built great relationships with terrific people who are very knowledgeable and very passionate about this business. And um, we're amazingly open uh, about how to do things, not from technical sales, uh, you know, a business standpoint. And um, I always got way more out of it than I ever put into it. I can promise you that. I think most people that take it seriously do get more out of it. At some point you wanted to be an instructor. Tell us about that. Now, Cliff, I think that came back to that experience in seven Springs. You know, I, um, I, I that was a really kind of great feeling. Um, and um, I, 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 Cliff, I remember at seven Springs, people literally lining up to talk to you to get your, your advice or your expertise on things. And um, I, I thought it was really cool. And your booth was always the one that had the most people around it. And that's because people wanted to talk to you. And I thought, well, I just wish I was that knowledgeable, uh, you know, about this business and about this industry. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to buckle down and focus on this and see what I can learn and see what I can do. And, uh, and it, it all just started to take kind of a life of its own. And next thing I knew, um, uh, you know, I got asked to do more speaking engagements. And then from there, decided to become an instructor. And, uh, you know, it just kind of kept going. So. Curious, Rusty, what, what kind of classes did you teach? Uh, like water restoration tech or was it an IRA, RIA class? Um, you know, I, I became an IICRC in, uh, instructor for fire damage. Um, did that for quite a while. Uh, actually, uh, another guy, Rick Love and I co-taught co that for several years. Uh, we had a mobile room that we would pack up and ship to different locations and unpack it in, in hotels. Experience of, of uh, how to restore and made them get dirty. And you know, hotels were not real happy with us when we, you know, lit our little room on fire in the middle of their conference homes. But yeah, we, we did that quite often. And um, uh, and then from there, we uh, did a, a a whole bunch of different marketing classes. Um, uh, you know, I. I got one time to, you know, team teach with Marty on the CR class. Um, and then I, I, I did, I can't even begin to guess how many CE classes I did for, you know, insurance agents, adjusters, and that kind of stuff, but probably in the hundreds, you know. Interesting. Cliff? Thanks. Um, Let me, go ahead. Go, go ahead, go ahead, Joe. Say, pre-Belfour, pre uh, you know, what was the biggest accomplishment what were you most proud of with respect to your career prior to joining the Bell 14? Um, you know, I think probably, uh, I think I had, um, I think I had amazingly loyal people and um, that meant a world 
to me um, and, and for anybody who started th these businesses from nothing and you build them, you really need folks like that. This is certainly nothing you can do on your own. And uh, I just had a lot of folks that, that, that you know, latched on to my little company and um, uh, were as much committed to, to what I was trying to do and what we were trying to do with the business as I was. And uh, because of that, I, I felt like we could outperform any competitor and we could outdo any competitor, and we always did. And um, I guess to that point, many of those folks who were, were with me way back then are, are still here with me at, at Belcor now. Uh, I mean, some of them retired, but other than that, uh, they've continued to stay loyal, still here. Um, you know, and, uh, it must always, you know, I have another little small business and, and every payroll, I, I think to myself, you know, it's it's just great to be able to help these guys make a living, feed their families, uh, buy a home, you know, I mean, did you get the same feeling as I do? Oh, there's, there's absolutely no question about that. You know, I'm, you know, I've been invited to a lot of weddings and uh, know the kids and kids' weddings and things like that through the years. And, uh, uh you know, and that, that was certainly one of the things that was appealing about joining Belcor was I was able to create upward mobility for a whole lot of people that I would not have been able to offer that to, you know, as a small business. Um, and, and many of those people really took advantage of those opportunities and capitalized very well. And they've moved up very nicely within the Belcor world. Actually, we have a text question uh, from a listener. They want to know what an Earl fire is. <laughs> That has to be Rick Love. That's the only person in the world that could possibly ask that question. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. There's oil and oil. <laughs> Very cool. I, I could never understand what Rick was saying, and he could never understand what I was saying. But we managed to laugh our way through it. Yeah. So I guess Rick was from the South, then. Huh? He was from the South. Yeah. Yeah. What whereabouts? Well, you know, I, you know, he was from uh, from St. Louis, and I, I forget now where he was born and raised. But you know, he he did have a, a little bit of a uh, a very subtle kind of Southern accent, so to speak. Uh, and of course, me being from Philadelphia and having that Northeast kind of uh, Rocky Balboa type sound to us, uh, the two of us uh, made it pretty interesting and pretty fun. Cool. Well, you know, looking back on your career, what's the funniest thing that ever happened on a restoration or, or cleaning project that you can talk about? Jeez, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly uh, lots of funny stories. Some I could probably can't tell, but um, <laughs> I know Pete's on the line, and, and I think one of Pete's favorite stories is um, years ago we did a um, – we did a large uh, fortune, probably 10 company had a, a large uh, fire loss, uh, mostly smoke in, in their headquarters up in New York. And a few of us contractors got together and we went up there and we, we uh, got in there to do the work. And we, we had developed such a great relationship with the client that they, um, you know, they trusted us and wanted us to do everything. And, you know, every now and then you, you, you we've all been, been beat up once in a while by an insurance adjuster for something. And um, this just happened to be one of those situations where it went completely the other way. The, the facility manager was this, this little Italian lady, a beautiful woman, probably, I don't know, in her late thirties, early forties. 
but she ran that 500,000 square foot facility, you know, with union people and all that with the way she wanted it. She didn't take any nonsense from anybody. And I, I remember, um, I, I re there was, there was a hallway that had some smoke damage to it and she was, was struggling with whether or not she wanted to get the ceiling tiles replaced in that hallway over the weekend or not, because the CEO of the company flew in on a helicopter every morning. And that was the entrance for him to go up to his office. She wanted to make sure that that looked good. And, um, uh, it was like a Friday afternoon and, um, we couldn't locate all these ceiling tiles, but we, we could actually get them there, but it was about a $50,000 FedEx bill to get them overnighted from somewhere in the Midwest. And the insurance adjuster happened to be in there with us, and he just said, hey, you know, <laughs> there's not a way in the world I'm paying for that, so don't even think about it. And he just looked at him, and she said, you'll pay for what I tell you to pay for. <laughs> um, uh, I'm FedEx and those things. They'll be here tomorrow. And, uh, you know, this thing will be done. And he, I, I remember him looking at her saying, I don't even know why I'm here. And she said, I have no idea why you're here either. <laughs> Uh, these guys are doing a great job. I will pay their bill. I'll uh, put everything together. I'll send you a summary and you'll send me a check. And um, I, I hope I don't have to talk to you till then. So it was just, just uh, kind of a, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a, a moment for us restoration guys who uh, would, would never have that kind of horsepower. Hey, Pete, you've got Global Watch the, uh, here. Yeah, that, that's the G-rated version of the story, you know. It's a lot more hysterical when we can actually name all of the people. That's and right. I, I remember when you originally told that story, you, you, when you called the tile place, they had to work over the weekend to get the tiles, and the guy started laughing. He thought you were joking. But yeah. look, there's actually a very important underlying message in that story. And this is one that, that our friend Mickey Lee has often talked about publicly, too, is the importance of developing the relationship with the client. And that really supersedes everything. And, and quite frankly, I'm not so sure the industry hasn't went sideways, you know, in the recent years that they, you know, they, they bend over, it seems. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go off the rails. But, uh, you know, that was a message, I guess, a lot of, a lot of the guys learned years ago. And um, maybe that's something that could be passed on in the future. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the, to the G-rated version of that, the, the, uh, the, the, the people that were installing the ceiling tiles were union contractors. And, uh uh, you know, the G version of that was the, the guy from the union said to that the lady was the facility manager, you know, there was no way in the world he was going to install these tiles and so on and so forth. And she got right in his grill and she said, oh, yes, you will. And uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he, and look, anybody works in any of these union cities. Uh, try getting your drywall delivered up to the floor if you you know uh, yeah. if you don't take care of the elevator operator. It reminds me of that of that uh, of that uh, Rodney Dangerfield movie where he was in the class and he, he wanted to know where this guy was if they were building the building in uh, Fantasyland because uh, apparently uh, you know <laughs> uh, try try working in a Union City and not dealing with that. Where do you put that in the line item invoice? By the way, is there some kind of a special? Um, place where you can actually uh, put that in the line item invoice or do you have to bury it? Yeah, no, we, we always laugh about that. And, uh, you know, it, it's a real cost of doing business and obviously no, there's no line item for it, but um, you know, it's, it's uh, that's why a lot of these projects are, are as complicated as they can get. And, you know, you, you need to maneuver your way through that. Yeah. 
Rusty, as the owner of a restoration business, you know, working nights and weekends and Super Bowls and holidays and, yeah. and so on and so forth, did you ever suffer from burnout? And if so, how did you cope with it? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Cliff, I, I, I never suffered um, from the um, uh, from the physical uh, requirements of 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 the job. I'm I'm not saying there weren't times where you know I got a call at two in the morning, and as I took the call, I was like, oh, I just really don't feel like getting out of bed. But but once I got to where I needed to go, I was fully energized and and, and loved what I did. Um, uh, my, my first wife didn't quite create that, uh, that lifestyle and that's why she's my first wife, but, uh, no, I had it, one like that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, you gotta be half nuts to be in this business. There's no question about it. Okay. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think the thing that, that there, that, that burned me out, um, uh, you know, was, was frankly the challenges of having enough capital to finance uh, a small restoration business. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, there, there was nothing better than to, or nothing worse, I should say, than, you know, to look at your income statement and on paper, see how profitable you were, but to look at your bank account and see no money there. And, and that, that, that really, really was very, very challenging. And, and it goes back right to the loyalty of the employees. It wasn't so much about how much money I could put in my pocket. It was about taking care of, of our, our, our people. Uh, and, and taking care of the great vendors and all that sort of thing. And so that was something that was, was clearly, uh, you know, that, that burned me out probably more than anything else. And, and, it went through, and it went through peaks and valleys, right? I mean, there, there was times, you know, where uh, I, I, I seemed to have had more money and more cash than and I really knew what to do with. And then there were all of a sudden that was all exhausted and the credit line was cashed out and you felt the pain. So, um, yeah, just just the ups and downs. I think of of of, of a, especially smaller restoration and growing restoration business. Yeah. You know, to follow up on that, how did you know it was time to exit, and what were the deciding factors upon which you decided to you know to sell the service business? Right. Um, you know, it. Um, I think it goes really back to to what I had. Uh, said earlier, I, I think creating upward mobility and other opportunities for the people in my company, that was a huge um, motivating factor. Um, you know, I was looking really hard back then. Do I add more offices? Do I, you know, to create these other opportunities? But with that comes obviously greater investment, more capital, um, more risk. And, um, you know, it, 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 I, I still say it to some of our Belfort guys, you know, you, you need to be careful when you gamble with somebody else's chips, right? I mean, I, if, if, I, if I took those risks and it didn't work out, uh, then it would have been ultimately our people that would have suffered. So when, when uh, and, and it was Inricon that acquired uh, my company, you know, when Sheldon came along and, 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 and um, had the capital and the resources and also had a lot of the exact same desires about what, um, he wanted to see us build and grow, you know, in the Philadelphia market. It, it seemed like a, a pretty good fit, um, and, um, and 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 uh, yeah, and I and I took advantage of that opportunity. Okay. Uh, any unexpected or unpleasant surprises with your exit? 
Yeah, you know, I, 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 people ask us, ask me that often because, you know, we, we obviously continue to acquire companies is for whatever reason, and I'm, I wasn't quite sure, but after the, the, the closing and they had acquired the business and, you know, the money exchanges and all that stuff is, is neat and fun, uh, for, for probably a good month or so, I had seller's remorse. And I'm, I'm, and I'm still not really sure exactly why. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a boss. I didn't have somebody breathing down my neck. Um, Sheldon wasn't calling me, wanting to know what time I was at work. Uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 my, my role and responsibilities didn't, didn't change at all. Um, but I, I really uh, went for about a month or so wishing I hadn't done it. Uh, and as time went on, um, maybe I just started to get into the flow of things and started to, to do some of the stuff I wanted to do, and, and, and that feeling went away. But I really look back at that and can't quite understand why, why I had such regret, but, but I did. Pete, we're going to um, break for halftime in a minute. Do you want to ask uh, another question before we uh, do halftime, and then afterwards we're going to talk about Belfour? Hi, Cliff. You guys are doing great. I'm uh, just enjoying my buddy Rusty there. You look, you look just relaxed and comfortable there sitting there in your office. So, anyway. I'm anything but comfortable and relaxed, Steve. <laughs> hey, Rusty, I mean, you, you, there's quite a few people that called in here, and I, some of them, I, you know, Barry and others, some of them I, I haven't, you know, you don't, we don't get to see that often. And right. uh, it's funny, you know, it's kind of out of respect that they, they stop in the middle of the day to listen live. You know, they can always get the blog and the, and, uh, the podcast, but they actually called in. So I, I think that's pretty impressive, to be quite honest with you. Um, anyway, okay. go to halftime, boys. All right, Joe. Let's do halftime, John. We'll be back with the second half of our interview. We've got Rusty Amarante. We've got a great show. Belfour's uh, Director of Operations. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at IAQA.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Rusty Amarante. Rusty, i got a question for you. You know, with Belfour now, it, you, it appears to me anyway, you've got a much bigger uh, responsibility and authority that, than you've ever had before. Um, you know, did you know you had it in you to 
take all this on? I mean, this is a big role you have at Belfour. And, and the follow-up to that, what, what helped prepare you for uh, taking on this role? Wow, I'm not sure I, I know how to answer. I, you know, I I, um, I think I was always very much up for the challenge. Um, uh, and and when you when you look at Belfour, um, you know it, it's 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 a very big business. You know, we've got over seven thousand employees now at Belfour, and uh, uh, but it's really made up of a lot of small businesses, right? So going going into a lot of our our day to day operations is is not all that big of a stretch for um, you know my background and my expertise and um, uh, so yeah I, I'm very very comfortable with that and and as time and I've, I've been with Belfour now at the end of November it's hard to believe it'll be 19 years. So um, when, when I was acquired, the company was much smaller and it, it, it grew and, and I uh, was very fortunate to get the opportunity to, uh, to go and grow with it. And um, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if that answers the question. Well, I'm just curious. Did you go take any classes or conferences, seminars to, you know, it's a big jump to being in charge of uh, 7,000 people from whatever your company was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always uh, taken the opportunity of going to any of the, 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 the conferences and seminars and things like that that, that were available uh, as it specifically related to uh, our, 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 the technical ends, I should say, of our business. Um, but you know, Sheldon Yellen, who is the CEO of, of Belfour, is a very, very unique guy, uh, has a very uh, basic, uh, uh, fundamental way of how we operate and run this business, and um, uh, so uh, the answer is no. Is I, I didn't get any advanced training about it. Yeah. Not because maybe it wouldn't have been a good idea. Not because maybe I, there wouldn't have been advantages of it. But but Sheldon was very very good at, at keep and and is still very good at keeping us focused and on the basics of. Of, of running our business and um, yeah, you know, people people ask a question similar to what you just did of me about our company overall and and uh, you know one of Sheldon's favorite sayings is you know that the thing that we do at Belfort probably better than than most companies is every day we just get up and do a lot of blocking and tackling um, we don't we don't look for the long bomb we're not looking for the you know, the, the superhero moments, we just kind of get up and, and block and tackle every day and, and keep our head down and just keep moving the ball a little bit down the field further and further and further. So uh, and that's basically, you know, my function at this company. Yeah. You know, it seems that, you know, MBAs and financial people run businesses differently. And it seems that, you know, the way that Sheldon runs it is the way that restoration people run it and i think it's pretty good proof that uh you know i, I think had had sheldon been an nba and you've been an nba and all the people that you know uh whose companies that you <laughs> purchased were mbas i think you'd had i think the company would have failed a long time ago and uh you know because I, I think it's what's in your heart it's what's in your gut and uh 
you know, not taking no for an answer. And I think there's a lot of pride, you know, that goes into, you know, not failing and doing whatever it takes in order to, you know, satisfy the client and, you know, caring about your people, uh, you know, first and, and foremost, I think many other companies just don't do that. You know, I, uh, you know, my hat's off to you. And I think we had similarities and, uh, I think what a lot of restoration contractors did in terms of running their business, I think the people were the, you know, the, the, the biggest asset. Well, since joining Belfour in a, in a senior management role, how have your opinions on insurance damage repair and restoration changed? Uh, you know, in all honesty, that's, it's really not changed a whole lot, right? Um, and, and I, you know, I, I read and hear some things once in a while, but, you know, I think the, the, um, the problems that we had 35 years ago of, uh, of, of gaining mutual respect with the insurance companies is, is still a cha- challenge now, right? Um, dealing with, um, you know, what you can legitimately bill and what we're entitled to make is still a challenge now. Um, now the TPAs were, were, didn't come around probably, in I don't know, last 20, 25 years, whatever it was, uh, you know, they, they bring it a new dynamic to it. Um, and they like contractors and like insurance companies, you know, there's good TPAs who I think help our industry. And I think there's bad TPAs that hurt it. Um, but, but there, there's certainly a, a new dynamic to it. Um, uh, I get a little uh, I, I get a little concerned, um, you, you know, about uh, the some of the, the consultants that uh, if we create a need for over consultants in our our business, uh, we will we will do to fire and water damage. You know, how, the the mold industry. You know, gold is mold. We the, our industry, but more importantly, the consultants ruined that right because. They got into it and they wrote these obscene, ridiculous protocols. In in, in some cases, the, the the restoration cost back then, we, we you know more than a few times I was in courtrooms where I had to testify against a contractor who, who wrote a, a you know a proposal for more than the value of the house. Um, and and we all as contractors look look pretty silly. So the insurance companies did what we would do if we were in business. They just stopped covering mold or they, you know, obviously changed the way it was written. And I think if we allow, you know, consultants to get into these businesses and tell us how to do water loss, I don't need a consultant to tell me how to do a water loss. Don't need them. They're in the way. Don't need them to tell us how to do a fire loss. They're in the way. They're going to make it expensive. They're going to delay it. They're going to be, it's going to be a problem. So I think, you know, those kinds of things um, I see creeping into our industry. Uh, and I think as restoration contractors, we, we, we need to stand firm and say, uh, no, we don't need an expert to tell us how to do it. We are the expert. Uh, so, you know, just uh, find something else that you want to consult on that you know nothing about. But we, we got this one. <laughs> Amen. I agree with you uh, 100%. Um, How has your prior experience as an instructor uh, influenced Belfour's staff and technical training? 
Yeah, you know, Cliff, we um, uh, the, the 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 training department is is uh, one of the areas that reports up to me. Uh, we've got, I think, uh, well, we just had a change, and that's why I'm hesitating. But we've got six full time trainers uh, in, in our our business in our, in Belfort that are obviously 100 percent dedicated to Belfort, mm-hmm. and um, I, and and I'm. And I say this with great pride uh, uh, about them, certainly not about us, but I, I don't think these are the best trainers in Belfort. I think they're the best trainers in the industry. Mm-hmm. They're just spectacular. So again, I, you know, I got to give big credit to Sheldon who, you know, I said, Sheldon, this is what we need to do. And this is what we need to spend. Uh, and we need to spend more because we want the best. Um, you know, there wasn't any hesitation on the other end of the phone or the, you know, sitting across from the table, he's going, you go do it. That's what I want. I, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want a C player. I don't want a B player. I want the best players and you go make that happen. And, uh, and that's what we've done. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, I got the Joe, did you want to? I'm just curious. I, I wanted to follow up on how the, um, the restoration industry, you know, the, the TPA issue has become a big issue for people in, in the industry now. And I'm wondering, how else have you seen or what other changes have you seen or do you see coming to the restoration industry in general? I mean, it, you know, we have a lot of people that do that type of work that listen. Um, I think some of them are a little worried that, you know, that they may get pushed out of the industry to some degree, or it may become like the automobile insurance industry. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you need to understand, you know, I mean, the auto auto body industry is an an amazingly profitable business. So I think anybody who claims that, you know, that industry has gotten squeezed or or taken over and now they don't make any money is just simply misinformed. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is a, a, the mom and pop body shops that don't make money, but uh, the, the ones who get the big picture get it. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the single biggest change, obviously, the greatest influence from the TPA world is technology. So if, if you're not technically savvy and, and, and have strong enough abilities to properly communicate, you know, electronically, um, it, it's really not going to matter how good your services are. You, you're just not going to make it. But, but I, I think that that comment goes beyond the TPAs, right? I, I think that goes to any kind of a ongoing relationship that you may want to have, you know, with an insurance company. If, if you're dealing with, um, you know, direct policyholders and whatever fallout you have with the insurance companies at the end you have, then, then it's a little bit of a different game for you. But, um, you know, there's, there's some risk with, with having that as a business strategy. Not saying it doesn't work, not saying it, that, it, that it's not right for, for some people, depending upon the size of the business. But, um, yeah, I think if, if, if you're sitting back thinking, I'm, I'm the best restoration guy in my area, and I, I do not have to comply with any technology because my work will speak for itself, I, I, I think you're uh, probably a little, little misinformed about where this is, where it currently is, and certainly where it's going. It's going to get more intense. It's not going to get less. Yeah. That's an important point for a lot of listeners. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked. And then I, I guess the, the follow up would be: in this industry, we get you know employees that may or may not be that technically savvy. Um, any tips for people on how to 
get them up to speed on this new technology as it comes up? Yeah. You know, uh, we, we've, we've talked about this for ages, right? And that, um, and it, it, it's one of the things I have had the chance to, to, to speak to groups about from time to time, but you, you know, for, for, uh, for people in our industry, for the most part, the folks in the field, the, the restoration people, not carpenters or painters or that kind of stuff, but you know, the, these folks need to be built. They're, they're, they're not already assembled. But I mean, you know, the, a carpenter comes to you with his tools and his trade. A plumber comes with tools and trade, electrician tools and trade. Most restoration guys don't have the tools in the trade. So I think the single most important thing you gotta do is find somebody with the right attitude uh, I think you got to really make sure that they're showing a, a sense of, of commitment, loyalty, uh, and then you got to invest the time and the money in training. And um, and and I think you got to create career opportunities for them where um, you know that they see some some growth and potential and other opportunities. So we we try you know very very hard to do that. Having said that, you know we have people that have, have been doing demo work for. 25 years and they're perfectly content doing demo work and don't want to do anything else. Uh, and there's people that, you know, uh, have been doing water losses for 25 years and don't have a desire to do anything else. And we love those people uh, every bit as much as we do the ones who, 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 who want to move up through the company. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunity and plenty of places for people to, to, to be a part of our company. Uh, but, um, the guy my age who refuses to accept technology is probably not going to be a good fit, uh, you know, for, for your company for the next 10 years. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. But the guy, the guy with your knowledge and experience, that's a whole other, uh, you know, you are what you know. And, uh, you know, that, those, that, that experience, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, you can't learn, uh, you know, today I think a lot of these guys go to an IICRC class and you know, they hang up a shingle or uh, right. you know, technicians have never seen a, a real water loss or a real fire and they're running around and, you know, with little initials after their name and pretty impressed with themselves. And, you know, you know, they quote this standard or they quote that standard verbatim, but you know, if they get a situation, they cannot think out of the box. They just go back to quote the standard or, you know, quote the instructor or, or whatever. That, that's one of the things that scares me. But let's talk about franchise. If I, if I, if I could, go just ahead. for a quick se second, I, I, you know, I, I, was, I was obviously more kind of referring to the technical guy in the field. But to your point, uh, you know, Sheldon, <laughs> Sheldon has a flip phone. Okay. He has no idea how the hell to use an iPhone or he, he does, and, and he, and he doesn't want to learn and he's not going to learn. Um, but you can walk up to him and say, Hey, you know, what's the phone number of, uh, you know, our president in Belfort, Italy, and he'll recite the number to you. Uh, I, I mean, it, but as, as far as him being a guy who's going to, you know, engaging all kinds of advanced technology and, and, and I guess a flip phone would not be very advanced. Uh, he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. And, and he's very guarded about us as a company in, in what we embrace and what we don't. So, uh, you know, and, and I, I'd argue he's probably the most knowledgeable guy in, in our industry. Well, somebody can uses a flip phone too. So yeah. well, uh, there you go. Well, then you <laughs> and Sean got 
Yeah. All right, let's talk about Belfour franchising. Why is Belfour franchising? And tell us a little bit about something called Belfran. Yeah, so uh, the Belfour franchise group, we, we started uh, back in 2007. And um, we, uh, uh, it, 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 it wasn't exactly planned, but we were doing uh, a lot of work in Hurricane Katrina and we were we were subcontracting a tremendous amount of duck cleaning. And the guy who had that business um, said, hey, you know, I've got this small franchise opportunity. And would you guys, uh, you know, maybe be interested in, in partnering up with with?" Um, so uh, next thing you know, we, we own this ducks. It's DACTV duck cleaning franchise business. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were franchising. And uh, we got that up and going and uh, certainly uh, um, learned a bunch as we went through that process. Um, um, and uh, then we started uh, Hoods, H-O-O-D-Z, and that's a kitchen exhaust cleaning franchise. Uh, we clean more commercial kitchens than any other company in the country, probably in excess of a 1000 a night. Uh, and, uh, shortly after that, we, uh, started 1-800-WATER-DAMAGE. Uh, well, we didn't start that. I take it back. We acquired that. It was a very small franchise out of Seattle. Uh, we, we got it. We kind of took it apart, rebuilt it, and, uh, and started selling franchises. So when we acquired it, um, we had about 26 franchises. We knew that was going to net down to about 20, uh, which it did. And uh, we just sold our 92nd franchise the other day. We'll, we'll, we'll exceed 100, you know, shortly, certainly by year end. So we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of excitement there. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're really, really happy about where that goes. And then, uh, and Sheldon has, has n- no diminishing appetite for us to uh, add additional brands uh, to, the, to the franchise group. So we're, we're still looking to either acquire or, uh, you know, Greenfield something if, if we see it makes sense. Cool. I mean, you've been a franchisee. Um, how does that experience prepare you to be a franchisor? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's a great question, Cliff. I, I, I think it, it, it did a lot because being on the other side of that, I think you have some expectation of what the franchisor should be giving and delivering. And we try to focus on, on those things uh, very much. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, starting my own restoration business, I can always look back and think what would have helped me most. So that's what we talk to, to our people about is, you know, what is it that we need to deliver day in and day out to help these people build and grow these businesses, keep them focused, um, you know, don't, don't try to go into 100 different directions, don't try to be everything to everybody follow the plan, stay committed to it. And, uh, you know, we, we have, we have undisputed evidence that when folks do that, it, it absolutely works for the people who always try to outsmart it. We have undisputed evidence that it doesn't work. Uh, because they, they, they simply just don't, you know, they just don't want to follow the plan. Uh, you know, you were talking about the importance of technology, um, does Belfour help them with this necessary technology that's needed to compete and excel, you know, in today's market? Absolutely. 100%. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, we, uh, I, I think we, we, uh, we're very committed to, to making sure that, that our people have whatever resources they, they need 
to um, you know perform their job as as well as possible. And um, and, and you know certainly from from uh, on, uh, going over to the Belfour side, where you know we deal with large losses, major hurricane events. You know we we lean more and more on technology for for managing these events than we ever have before. And, uh, and because of that, you know, we're, we're way more efficient, we're way more effective, and uh, we, we, we do better than we ever have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the technology, do you have, like, for instance, 1-800-WATER damage? Is there a central, uh, you know, center that, that answers the phone and assigns the projects, or does each one, uh, each office do it for, for themselves? Yeah, so uh, we, you know we handle that a couple of different ways. We have our own call center in Ann Arbor attached to the uh, our franchise uh, group business. Um, so if the franchisee is not able to handle their their calls for whatever reason, they pass it on to the call center. The call center will take it for them and deal with it. Uh, if, if they are in their office and they want to be answering the phone directly, then you know we, we switch back to them. For, for our, our national accounts and uh, certainly national events, you know, such as Hurricane Michael, everything uh, as it relates to that specific area where the hurricane gets funneled through the call center, it gets vetted, uh, you know, and then it, it moves on to the appropriate area where, where the, you know, the... Um. How are Belfour's franchise offerings different and or superior to the competition? Um, you know, I, I, I think we feel, you know, especially with 1-800-WATER damage and, uh, you know, that there's certainly some horsepower with uh, having the Belfour name behind you. Um, and... Um, Although you may be a franchise, um, we, we are probably uh, more, way more friendly uh, at assisting with capital needs and, and things like that. So some of the challenges that, you know, I talked about when I started my business with, with you know, uh, having, having the capital to move the, the business forward, uh, if, if our franchisees come to us and they need some help financially and it, it's and it makes sense and they're they're good people we'll, we'll probably assist with that uh, I'm not too sure of how many others do it or, or certainly do it to the level that we do um, and then we you know we got a very deep bench right so if if, if, a, if a particular location gets too busy we can backfill them with with other locations or with the Belfour staff or whatever you know You know, if you're an 800 water damage person, regardless of the size of the project, you don't, you don't ever have to say no. You say yes because um, you know you got the full weight of Belfour behind you to make whatever it is happen happen. You know, one of the things that you talked about earlier, both in your business and in Belfour, were upward mobility opportunities for employees right. and. I guess one question is, do some employees in Belfour see being an entrepreneur and owning a 1-800 franchise or a Ducks franchise or a Hoods franchise, do some of the uh, wannabe business owners come internally uh, or do they come externally? Or 
Yeah, but most of them come externally, but without a doubt, we've, we've certainly had some folks who have, have come with, within the Belfour ranks and have wanted to explore those opportunities. Uh, and we've done it with some of them. So, uh, yeah, that, you know, the answer is yes to, to, to both. But the vast majority really have, have come from, from the outside. And um, that, that's, that's where most, most of that growth has come from. Okay. Um, I guess before we go to the roundup, I think I want to turn it over to Pete to uh, pose a very interesting question that he fashioned. So I'm going to let him uh, ask it. I'm, I'm scared. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Cliff, are you, are you talking about the final question? Yeah, your your final question. Oh uh, yeah, I uh, well, I had a handful of comments and stuff that I wanted to make, but you know, Rusty, actually, I'll tell you the question. Think about it, and then maybe we will wrap the show show up with it. Um, the qu- the question that I really wanted to ask, and it's always tough when you just can you're asked one thing to come up with one thing, and you know, Marty years ago when he started the NIFR and really was the, the, the beginning of the buildup of restoration in the industry that we know today, he always referred to it as being the damage repair industry and he wanted to see it become a profession, hopefully in his lifetime. You know, whether it actually did or not is probably fairly subjective. You know, he's passed. Are we really a profession? Aren't we? I don't know. I suppose I could take an argument either way. But... Um, you know, kind of in the light of, uh, you know, Marty's looking down to listen to to answer this question. You know, what would he say? What would he think? What do you think is the single most important thing that, that the industry needs to do in order to actually move forward so that we are viewed as a profession by uh, the people we serve, the people that maybe burden the cost of restoration? Um, anyway, uh so maybe maybe you can answer that. That'd be a good thing to wrap up the show. Uh, so Cliff and Joe, I got you want to move to the roundup. I got some comments and a couple other little things. Not Let's quite as serious. Well, let Rusty answer the question first. You want to answer first? Go ahead. Are you prepared to answer that, Rusty? Uh, yeah, you know, I, okay. I think Pete, I, I would absolutely argue uh, that I, I think we are a profession. I think we are a real profession. Uh, I, I think we we are are certainly recognized. Uh, um, you know, in, in as as uh, as a legitimate business, and that we are professionals. Um, is it to the level we'd like it to be? You know, you can probably always make it better. But I, I I'd argue strongly with you that we're not. I I think Marty'd be proud of seeing where where we brought the industry. Um, ha- having said that, you know, I guess one thing I guess I would 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 say and and. Uh, I think it's okay um, for us as an industry, and I and I would suspect Marty would would support this very much. To say no sometimes, uh, you don't have to say yes to every job. Uh, you don't have to say yes to every um, requirement. Uh, you don't have to say yes to, to um, somebody who's who's constantly trying to squeeze, you know, your, your, your pricing or estimating or whatever. It, it's okay sometimes to walk away from, from, from jobs. It's, it's okay to turn some things down. And, and I know, for, you know, for maybe some of the listeners may be thinking, well, you know, that's easy for Belfort to say, you, you know, you're a big company, you can afford to turn some stuff away. Um, 
you know, I, I'd argue is, is, is your small business able to accept some of these jobs and still survive? So, you know, it's, 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 it's a very delicate balance, right? You, you can't, uh, I, I, I think the bully approach is, is, is absolutely wrong. Uh, I think the, um, uh, um, the, the loud or arrogant a, a approach to um, screaming no is, is, doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. I, I think you can find jobs and, 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 and uh, pres presumed opportunities, you know, in a professional way. And, and, and hopefully it's looked at on the other side with respect, right? Um, and, and that they're saying, you know, there's a reason these, these, these contractors are saying no to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and as long as there's always a big bucket of, of, of people saying yes, um, and they're not even sure why they're saying yes, then uh, I, I think it's it, it's a little harder to elevate the overall industry. Great point. We're going to go to a roundup. We'll be right back with today's guest, Rusty Amarante. It's the 2018 Healthy Building Summit, October 25th through the 27th at Seven Springs Mountain Resort in the gorgeous Laurel Highlands of southwestern Pennsylvania. Network and practitioners, prominent researchers, and industry leaders in an intimate and informal setting. This year's theme is IEQ, Remediation and Restoration, Research to Practice. This is the only industry event that performs live research and links researchers and practitioners. Marquee sponsors include Hayward Score, Helping People Live Healthier Lives, and Particles Plus. Count on us. Okay, I also want to announce we had a winner of the contest uh, to name our... Uh... Healthy Building Summit mascot. Thank you, Luke von Oldenburg, um, for coming up with Aristotle. I didn't realize, Luke, that arrow is means air. Um, and then, of course, Aristotle was a, a scientist and a philosopher. So uh, thank you, Luke. We'll, we'll get your prize out. And thanks to all of you that participated in the contest. We've sent out quite a few coffee mugs and uh, IAQ radio hats. So uh We'll see all of you uh, in about a week and a half at the summit in uh, Seven Springs. So let's get back to finalize our interview and uh, do the roundup. Uh, we'll start with you, Pete. What do you want? You, I, I know you had a couple comments. And yeah. So listen, Rusty. The first thing on a light note, you know, this thing I didn't realize I had in common with Sheldon. We still both have a flip phone, thanks to Mister Zlotnick bringing that point up. But <laughs> I, I remember a convention. And I don't remember whether it was when we were still ASCR before he rebranded, but it was when the Blackberries were around. And I remember there was a bunch of us sitting around one night in the bar at a lounge, and you made this comment. You said, hey, Pete, a bunch of your friends are wondering whether you can upgrade to the new technology. And I said, well, why are you asking that? And he said, well, we, we, you couldn't imagine me being able to uh, communicate kind of at the, at the speed of, a, you know, pushing a, a button like that that quick. You wanted to saddle me to my computer. So I said at that time, in honor to respect my friends, I would resist upgrading to the technology. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of listening to Ashley and all my Aussie buddies. So finally, I'm going to break down. And next year, I'm going to actually have a fun. I hear they take really good pictures, too. <laughs> do you fun. remember that conversation, Rusty? I do remember. I, I just... I just don't know how you can convey volume through through typing, but uh, yeah, it's just, figure it know. out. It's amazing. Uh, I, so I surprised I you could talk without using your hands, Pete. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I couldn't talk if you did that. Um, so listen, a couple on a serious point. 
I, I remember, Rusty, for one thing, I, I really echo uh, this whole thing with the consultants. I remember one of the S-500 meetings several years ago when you were the vice chair at the S-500 when they brought up the whole idea of after the mold standard and wanting to have consultants in every water loss and, you know, you kind of went into a rant and then month and Mickey was still working for months at the time. And you looked over at Mickey and said, Mickey, don't you agree? And he kind of shaked his head. Yeah. What Rusty said, because, um, otherwise why do we, why are we out there and who's going to pay for this? And, and I, and I'm, I'm a little, uh, I think, you know, even although you may not have directly said it, I'll say it. I mean, I think this potentially is the direction where potentially the fire stuff is going. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Cliff has always advocated that there was probably more, uh, a risk in a lot of these fire losses, uh, sure. post combustion, if you would, then the industry was serious about, but whether that means that we, we need to have somebody come in at the beginning of a project and kind of tell us that, I don't know. I, I suppose that'll kind of play itself out, but I, I do think it's something that the industry should be concerned about because, you know, like with the mold, the insurance industry can only take so much. It isn't like the pockets, you know, it's not, they're not playing with monopoly money. Um, the other thing that you had brought up, and I remember you, you made this comment at the, when we had the TPA event last year in Nashville, one of the things, and look, all the TPAs were in the room, we had a packed room, and you made a comment about, uh, you know, with a lot of the, the, whether the carriers or the TPAs, there's some, you know, young 22-year-old person that's uh, telling experienced contractors of what they should get, and they're reading out of the playbook and all this kind of stuff, and, um, what are your thoughts? Where's that going? And is that, how much of a problem is that in the communication with the industry? I, I think that the, uh, the, 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 the good and serious TPAs um, ha, have a genuine appreciation for the restoration contractors. Uh, I, and they know that they cannot deliver a quality product without quality contract. So, uh, in, uh, with great respect to uh, uh, several, uh, four in particular that come to mind, TPAs, I know I've turned down, you know, uh, great opportunities and great business opportunities with insurance companies because they said no. No, you want to beat up the contractors too much. You want to, you, 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 if that happens, we're going to have all the bottom feeders of contractors which means we're going to provide a lousy service. And ultimately you, Mr. Insurance company is going to fire me, Mr. TPA, you're going to get rid of me. And it's because we, we couldn't, the customer service will be so bad. So we rather just pass. So for the TPAs that do that, I have great respect and great admiration for them. Don't get me wrong. They, you know, the insurance companies are still obviously their, 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 their customer, but I think they, they are trying very hard uh, to make it more of a, a, of a mutual respect and, and deliver some of our message. Um, about two months ago, I, I had a, a call with a guy who has a TPA and uh, about 10 minutes into it, uh, you know, after he was telling me how you know, much money we make and how profitable we are and how much we abuse the insurance companies and he went on this rant. Um, you know, of course, he never ran a restoration company, never did a water loss, never did a fire loss, has no idea what he was talking about. I said, we're just not a fit. And, you know, thanks. But, I, you know, I got other stuff to do. And, and I and we turned him down. And, and he was on the other end of the phone amazed that how dare I not want their business. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, that, that, that TPA is a, a perfect customer for a competitor, uh, but not for us. 
Yeah. So, Rusty, listen, to, to kind of wrap things up, I um, I guess if uh, if if the big kahuna over there at Belfort is the undercover boss, we IQA Radio has you as this is the undercover interview. Very, <laughs> uh, I, I, very flattered. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Cliff is uh, always so insightful, put a lot of thought in. I, I think I think telling your story, you know, is more important than, than you may think. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in not only your comments, but in the, some of the stories that are told. The, um, but the one thing I'd like to say in closing is that um, I remember when you asked me, you know, when you were the president of RAA 10, 10 years ago, I think 2008, and I remember when we had that little celebration dinner at a board meeting afterwards, you kind of said to me, you know, how do you think I did? And I kind of paused because I, I wasn't going to patronize you and I had to think about it. It was a tough question to answer. Um, because I remember a year or two before you talked to me and Cliff and others about should you be the president because it was a big commitment and it, really it was the last single year presidency the associations had we've been we've had two year presidencies for quite a while and what I told you was I said well you know Rusty being a president and serving as a volunteer in the nonprofit sector most presidents don't get credit for the the stuff that they did um, because someone else has to finish it. And they get credit for things that they really shouldn't because they finished what the guys before them started. And that's kind of the nonprofit life. Um, so I, I kind of have uh, two questions, one on the past and one on the future. How do you think and what kind of impact do you think the, all the years that you served at RAA leading up to be the president, you know, how do you feel about it now looking at it 10 years later? And then the final thing is, um, you know, with the, with the, Things like the PIRC, which, you know, some of the listeners, and you may recall that this is the third or fourth attempt that the industry tried to kind of assemble with that, started back with Dale Saylor when he was the head of DKI and then REA and it went around. And now the handlers have taken it over and I think are doing a good job following in the collision industry model. Uh, so where do you see that going and what do you see that's happening? You know, it, it kind of spanning about the last 10 or 15 years, so where was it then and where do you think it's going now? Because I, I know that you guys support that and a lot of the big players support the PRC and hope, hoping that it can make the industry better. So anyway, that's my, that's kind of my final thoughts and asked the question for you. Uh, enjoyed the interview. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Thanks Pete. Very nice. Um, I, d Pete, I don't, don't, think I didn't realize you still haven't answered my question about how I did as, as the president, but so I can only, <laughs> You know, probably not as good as I may have thought, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, um, I said it and so it's only going to be redundant. You know, I, I got way more out of, of, uh, what I put into, to volunteering with any, uh, anything in our industry. I got way more out of it than I put into it. And, uh, anybody who, who is thinking seriously about becoming, you know, the president of our, you know, any, any significant role in, in any of our organizations, I think they need to do it with the understanding that they need to take it seriously. And it's a, it is genuinely a commitment. If you're just looking to get your name uh, in the magazine or posted someplace and, and ride on the coattails of everyone else and do absolutely nothing. Um, I, I really wish you wouldn't, wouldn't volunteer because it's not fair that only a couple people, you know, have to do all the work and yet an entire group or, you know, some particular folks, you know, claim recognition for it. 
these things are serious. They're important and, and they impact a lot of people. So uh, I think if you want to do it, I think it's great. I think you should, uh, but understand that you need to be committed to it and, and, and take it seriously. Um, and, and it's, it's more than just uh, something to add to your resume with, with no behind it. Cliff, no, I just wondered whether Rusty wanted to uh, comment on the second part of Pete's question, which was the, the PIRC. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the, the PIRC has, has absolutely the very best intentions. And um, let's face it, it's a lot of heavy lifting, and it's not going to be easy. And, and again, it's, uh, it's the same thing there. Um, you know, the people who, who decide to contribute to it, I think need to understand it's a serious commitment and, and, and they, they, they need to put the time and the energy into it. And the more that they're able to do that, uh, the, the better results PIRC is going to have. You know, P, PIRC is, is they're, 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 they're kind of the vehicle, right? I mean, they, they, they are proud to move it. Uh, they, they may be the engine behind it, but they, they need, they need people and, you know, they need somebody driving and steering and, and making sure that, that it's, you know, the vehicle isn't just parked, that it's actually moving. Uh, and that's all the people in the room that, that, that show up at those meetings. Um, I, I wish I had more time uh, to contribute to that. I, I, I don't, but um, as you, you know, Dale obviously uh, works for us now and he's there all the time and we'll, we'll probably have some others uh, begin to contribute as well. They got a they got a tall order ahead of them. Make no mistake. Yeah. All right, before Rusty. Go, thank go ahead, Cliff. Go ahead. I just was going to say before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything we missed? I, I, no, I, you know I'm very flattered you guys and asked me to do this. I think it's kind of cracks me up that folks would have that much much interest in in it. But but I am I'm I'm I'm, I'm very flattered by it. I've I've enjoyed uh, and been very honored to have uh, Cliff as a mentor and, and a personal friend. And uh, my friendship with Pete has been uh, long and, and deep and, and very meaningful to me. So uh, it's, it's been great that I, I don't get to see or talk to you guys anywhere near as much as we used two years ago. But um, you're always in my hearts and thank the world of you guys. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we've had some great comments, and I think uh, I'm sure you've got to run. But this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Rusty Amarante, the Director of Operations for Belfort Property Restoration. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, at the controls, John. you got to have faith and the global industry, the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. Thank you, Pete, for your help on the show. Uh, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Next week, we've got Dr. Let's see, Dr. Peter DiCarlo of Drexel University. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of the home chem studies that he's been working on, so the chemistry of the indoor environment. We'll be back next Friday with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.